0: Morning. before I get into this topic, let, let me start by saying that there is a, a realm in this whole freedom dynamic. Anytime that we are facing any form of, of kind of being feeling controlled by something in our life besides the spirit of God, whether it's an appetite, a fear, uh, people, when, when those things are happening, usually it's taken time for that to grow to the level that it is. It's usually not zero to a 100. Usually we dabble in something, put our feet in it, put our leg in it. You know, Eventually we get in over our heads. But it takes a while for that to happen. And there's some mystery involved. And if, if, if at some point in your life you've battled with controlling issues and somebody were to, to try and ask you to explain how is it that you came to this place? I don't know that most of us could explain it. I think there's some mystery involved. But... When we look at the truth of how it is that we escape being in bondage, uh, mystery begins to clear up because God brings insights to us and the insights are what actually open our eyes to believing something. But that that brings me to a place of, of trying to touch something that's mysterious with something that's really not all that mysterious. We're in a place, in our jail cell, and it's mysterious how we're there, why we keep staying, why don't we get out. It's not great. I'm not having a great time. I'm not sending postcards out saying, Love in the jail cell. Wish you were here. You know, None of us feel that way about our issues. But yet there's this mystery as to why we won't depart. And then God comes along and presents to us a means of freedom. And it almost sounds too simple. I mean, let's be honest. Today, we're going we're gonna to listen today. We're going to listen to words. Concepts principles that's what we're going to do we're going to listen to that we're going to quote words and sentences that God has said that's what we're going to do and quite honestly only only if belief reaches out and touches those words will this meeting be of any value to you you can sit week in and week out in a setting where Truth is being shared. God is being quoted. That's not mysterious. A guy stands in front of you, speaks the same language that you speak, puts strings from thoughts together and weaves what God said into that, and that's what you're about to sit and listen to. That's not mysterious, is it? The mystery comes in when faith reaches out and touches those things. And then in that moment, something unexplainable happens. And it's a mystery as well. This word becomes a living word. And it reaches back and it touches us. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it performs a work in us that can set us free from things that have mysteriously grown in our lives and dominated us. So, all that we're going to listen to, and I'm going to remind you about this as I walk through some of these thoughts today. Do we believe, believe, full of faith, reaching out and touching what God has said? Do we believe what we hear God say? Because if we don't, we're just going to sit in this meeting for a while. And then we're going to leave. And there will be no mystery. But there should be mystery. The Christian life has mystery in it. It has God doing things to us, in us, through us. And we really can't account for how we ended up where we are either, except for God was involved, and therefore things began to happen in my life. But faith puts us in touch with that this morning. So let me, let me bring us back through a couple of thoughts here, a little bit of a review, a little bit of gathering some thoughts here for a moment. Galatians chapter 5. I want to work on three premises today to bring these back in front of us. Galatians 5 verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Whatever that yoke is, in Galatians there was a particular yoke that was being worn by the people. And what it was doing, it was placing them, almost some of what Matt tried to help us with this morning, was placing them within the, the stronghold of a concept and an idea in their lives, begin to labor under these ideas that they were being controlled by. And the admonishment from Paul is, don't, don't be under that yoke. Now, whatever the yoke is, remember if you don't remember this terminology, the yoke is that piece that was worn between two oxen. It was a, it was a wooden piece that put two oxen together. And it no longer let them be independent. They, they, they now were together with something else. They were going together in the same direction. And so if you're, if you're yoked to something that's sinful, that's enslaving, well, you're going where it's going. And Paul says, don't be yoked together. Don't let it happen anymore. Don't submit again to that yoke. Cast it off. Tell it no. Well, that's easy to say, but why can I do that? Because Christ came on a mission. It says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom, that's what He did. That's a mission statement. Jesus Christ was on a mission that has something to do with how you and I experience freedom. That was part of the mission He was about. And the question is, is Jesus Christ successful at what He sets out to do? And we're going to create an interesting Christianity if we answer no to that. Won't we? If we say Jesus is on a mission, but He doesn't accomplish what He sets out to do, we're in severe danger as Christians. That can't be a Christianity that sounds like that. They just can't. So He does accomplish what He sets out to do. It was for freedom that Christ has set you free. Premise number one. Part of the mission of Christ was to obtain our freedom. Remember John Piper's thought at the beginning of the series. For this, Christ died. For this, He rose. For this, He sent you His Holy Spirit. There is nothing under the glory of his own name that he wills with more intensity than your freedom. Those are words and concepts that just went into your ears. Do you believe that? Do you believe the Son of God is on a mission to accomplish freedom for all who would believe in him? Do we really, really believe that? That's the purpose that He came. To set us free. And He is intensely interested in that in our lives. And I can listen to that or I can believe it. It's not the same thing. I can listen to it. I heard you say that. Or I can believe it. God, you really are after my freedom. You intentionally want it in my life. Well, that that postures me for the rest of what He wants to do now. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Here's another mission statement. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's a mission statement. That's why I came. Here's the reason I came. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. But in the same statement, we learn about an enemy whose presence... To steal and kill and destroy. There's an enemy who today, every day, daily basis, is out to steal your freedom. To kill your freedom. To destroy your freedom. Every day. I need to know that every day and be warned and be careful every day. Now, you know, let me say this. Having to do things like this, like go to war every day, can become something that is a sort of an irritant to us. You probably have said this at some point in your life. If you haven't, you've been around somebody who has probably not, probably recently. You fight battles in your life. Faith comes into your heart. You hear a teaching, you respond and you step out in faith and you fight the battles and there's bloodshed and there's tears, but you begin to see transformation in your life and you start becoming somebody that you weren't before. And time moves along. And all of a sudden it becomes difficult again. And temptations come again. And you stumble again. And a mess gets created again. Maybe in the very same category. Maybe in one that's a little bit different. And you do that again. You fight the battle and you do that again. Fifteen years later in Christ, you've done that a few times now. And now you're 17 years old in Christ and here it comes again. And it hits you again. Maybe the same area. Maybe a different one. And it's very easy in that moment to just want to throw your hands up and say, listen, if this is how it is, I just quit. I quit. I don't even want to try in this area. I don't even want to try. Why? Why? Because I try and then... uh." That's just not sound thinking. You don't think that way in other categories of your life. Living in New Orleans, how many of y'all turned your air conditioning to 72 degrees, it cycled on, it ran pull the house down to 72 degrees. You shut it off and decide, I'm never using it again. 72 degrees. I'm done. Now, if you know how your air conditioner operates, you know in about 45 minutes, it's going to cycle back on again. And it's going to run. It'll be 72 degrees, shut off. And then 45 minutes later, it's going to cycle back on again. Right? And that's how your air conditioner works. Now, why is that? Well, because though it's a comfortable 72 degrees inside, it is 95 degrees and humid outside. The environment that your house exists in is not 72 pleasant degrees inside and out. There's a hostile environment outside your house. And so the moment that the, the air conditioner shuts off, the hostile environment operates constantly on the house. And not only that, it's not only a problem with the outside you have windows and doors and cracks in your house. So the, the humid hot air seeps in to your home, raising the temperature, making it necessary for the air conditioner to kick on again <clears throat> and lower the temperature so that you're comfortable again. Listen, this is the Christian life. is not just your Linux unit outside. This is the Christian life. You walk in truth, you put on truth, you fight battles, you, you, kinda, you lower the temperature to where we begin to experience peace and joy and the things that God has promised, but in an environment that's fallen and sinful and corrupt, 95 degrees humid every day, and it is waiting constantly to touch my life. And not only that, I live in a flesh body. The, body, the, the Bible is very clear about the condition of this flesh that I continue to live in. It's got cracks It's got windows and doors. And the world does affect my flesh. Now, one day I'm going to live in the perfectly insulated body. That once God does the work of perfection in my life, there's no leak. There's There's no gaining access to me. It's called a glorified body. Now, when I'm in that glorified body, I also get to be in heaven where it's a perfect 72 degrees always. But that's not the condition right now. So everyone, everyone expect this as we kind of get towards the end of this series. Whatever battles you've fought and the, and the air conditioning has cycled on and you've begun to experience some freedom, do realize you may have to cycle through exactly what you've done in this series six months from now, two years from now, two weeks from now. And if you're finding yourself, yeah, I'm, I'm having the battle... That's normal. You're, you're, not, you're not in some bizarre place. It's not as though you've failed. Oh, well, I keep having to fight this thing. I just. I must be failing. No, no. you're living in 95 degree humid weather. You've got cracks in who you are, in your flesh. You have an enemy out there who wants to steal your freedom, destroy your freedom, kill your freedom. That's what he wants to do. John 8, verse 33. You shall know the truth... And the truth shall make you free. It will make you free. It will make you free. Words and concepts. Right? Freedom's a concept. Truth is a concept. Truth touching your life and producing freedom is just a concept. You heard it. I heard it. Do I believe it? Premise number three knowing and believing the right thing precedes freedom. That's biblical. Knowing and believing the right thing precedes freedom. If your freedom isn't increasing in life. Two questions. Are you seeking fresh revelation? Revelation of truth precedes steps into freedom. So if I'm not growing in freedom, then I need to ask a question. Am I I pursuing and seeking fresh revelation from God? Secondly, am I believing it once I encounter it? In the land of information, we almost feel like well if we listen to it, if I sit through this long presentation this morning, I've done all I need to do. That's punishment enough. No. I, I, I need to now wrestle with it because there's gonna be a part in me that fallen part of me that constantly wants to say no, no, no. I won't believe that. I don't believe that. It hasn't been my experience. I've been walking in this for 15 years. I know. That's not true. It isn't true. I felt this way. That says that, but I don't agree with it. There's something in me that's going to do that. So listening isn't enough. I need to wrestle to believe what I'm listening to. J.C. Ryle says, There is no such thing as right living without right believing. You'll know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, if it's believed. Hearing it doesn't qualify. Now today, I want us to explore another insight. I think the Bible gives us insights. much, And this is why you really want to be a passionate student of the Bible, because sometimes we, we like to just read simple facts like, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and, oh, you know, I've read the Bible. All over the Bible there are statements, and if you begin to unwrap them, And take them apart there are implications if that's true well then this is true if that's what god said about this well then it means this to me on a daily basis there's implications all over the bible so you want to unwrap the packages in the bible and that's kind of what we've done a little bit through this series when we we try to just give some illustrations that would stick with us the bible teaches something about us that remember the hurricane illustration that within every one of us There is a low pressure, unique to me. It's something about me. And the conditions that are in me make me more likely to wrestle in certain areas than in others. Well, it's just an insight. It helps me to address the issues that are going to be powerful in my life. Knowing that arms me in advance in particular areas. I need to hold on the insights. Remember the, the bait illustration? We we get inside our jail cells for a reason. We we didn't back in. We dove in. We went in the jail cell because there was something in there that we wanted. Even if wanting what was in there really involved trying to avoid what was out there. I'm afraid to be out there. I don't don't like the discomfort of the uncertainties that are outside. I'd rather just live a confined life. I I want something in the cell, even if what's in there is avoiding what's outside of it. But I need to know that. I need to know that because it helps me to inform my sinful heart and mind that I'm not in here simply because I'm a victim. I get inside a jail cell because I willingly crawl in because I believe something. Well, that helps me. That's insightful. That's going to help me change. It's going to help me address an issue that I need to address. Well, today I want, to, I want to move into a third area of just biblical insight. And it has to do with the role of fear in restricting freedom. The role that fear plays in restricting freedom. So the message title today is Freedom and the Fear Factor. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2, verse 14. This verse, this is is a great example of a verse that really in the context, what we're about to read in the context of Hebrews 2, is, is a passage that is wrapped in the thought around it of highlighting the ministry of Jesus Christ. Who He was, what He did, and then making sure we understand that the ministry of Jesus Christ is superior in its quality, its essence, and what it has accomplished to any other ministry that we could ever respect. And and the, the writer of Hebrews goes through and carefully makes sure we understand as much as we might be dazzled by and impressed by angels, the ministry of Christ is greater. If you were a Jew, you had tremendous respect for Moses. As much as we respect Moses and the ministry God used through him, the ministry of Christ is greater. So we're in this context of Jesus' ministry being greater. But I want to just peel out something that's hidden in this passage here. In verse 14. Since the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same. He put on flesh and blood, didn't He? That through death He might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. I mean, that's just an informative statement. The devil has the power of death. He makes use of that in a certain way. Look at verse 15. And he might deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now that that one little line there is a huge mouthful. Very insightful. Helps me understand a lot about my life, particularly in this category. That there's a statement here about Jesus Christ, his mission. This is another mission statement being made. This, like, for freedom Christ set us free. Jesus is on a mission statement, mission here. It gets highlighted, he's come to destroy the one who has the power of death. The Bible tells us that over and over again. He's come to destroy the works of the devil. That's something Jesus is out to accomplish. <clears throat> that should help me as I think there's a work going on in my life that has the fingerprints of the devil all over it. Well, I should expect that the Son of God came to wreck that work. That's why He came. He came to come touch my life and to wreck that thing. I should not have the expectation that because this has been in my life for 10 years, 20 years, it's inevitably going to continue. I, I can't believe that and believe this at the same time. I have to set one of them aside so we can listen to these things, but do we really believe them? Because if I believe them, even if you can stand and tell me, well, Keith, that's easy for you to say, you've never had a problem with blah, blah, blah. I've been, I've had this go on, I've had that. I, I've, I've, this has been a problem for me for 20 years. You don't understand. Listen, I'm not trying to be unsympathetic. I mean, I live life too, so I know what it is to wrestle through issues, and I've shared some of that with you guys in this series. But when you make that sales pitch... You're asking me to buy a product. You're asking me to buy, or you're asking your wife or your husband or your friend or your covenant group leader, you're asking somebody to buy your experience over this truth. You're trying to tell me that because something's been around a long time, it's undoable. You can't undo the thing. You can't change it because of its longevity. And and I have to make a decision. Do I believe that? Or do I believe that the mission of the Son of God was to come destroy the works of the devil and destroy what he does in our lives? That he's on a mission. And do I believe that Jesus Christ is a failure at what he came to do? Do I believe that? Because whenever we are trying to convince somebody that sin should continue to control my life, I'm trying to convince you that Jesus' mission failed. It's no small thing, is it? You know, again, maybe we change our terminologies. Let's move away from, well, you don't understand. I've had this and I've had that. Let's move away from that too. listen, Keith, I don't know what you believe about the Bible, but Jesus failed. I know what he meant to do, but come on. He, he blew it. He fumbled. I mean, He did a lot. He okay, died on the cross, forgiveness of sins. That's cool. He shed his blood. We're forgiven. But setting us free, he, he blew that when he fumbled it. Man, he did a lot. Let's, let's be reasonable here. Jesus did a lot. I fumble that one. I don't mean based on my life anyway. Now, none of us would stand in front of anybody and say that, would we? But we're challenging the premises that are in the Bible. Because we're saying our experience negates what this word says. We can't do that. You can't do that and call that Christianity. You can't do that and follow God. We're out of bounds from where the Bible has us. But listen, listen to the, the insights that are in this passage. Verse 15. He came to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And this is one of those little hidden elements here. When we pull it out of this passage, we learn something, a little sidebar comment. We learn something about the Achilles heel of man. The Achilles heel of man in the realm of bondage has to do with fear and death. If I just pull this passage apart, I'm going to learn something about why is it? Why why do I get enslaved to something in my life? Well, am I aware of any fear in that category? What am I afraid of? These are questions I should be asking based on this passage. If I'm enslaved, lifelong slavery, seasonal slavery, if that's going on in my life, what am I afraid of? Because in this passage, I'm introduced to fear and its relationship to death. And the effect of those things is to produce enslavement. I I, I won't get free from something. Because of the presence of fear and death. Everybody with me? Does this This make sense? Now, if if you think for a moment in your own life, I don't know of, of a greater enemy in enslavement than fear. I think fear might be one of the most powerful enemies any of us face. And, and fear, and this passage helps us to understand this, where fear is present, slavery is present. F- fear is not so much a stumbling thing. No, you can stumble on sin, you you stumble, you get convicted, you realize, "Oh, I've never done that before." Wow, oh, I did that." And then you move on, you stumbled over that thing. Fear, when it starts coming, fear is going to be staying for a while. Fear a, a, It's got a, I don't know, an odor to it when it comes. You just can't decide to open the door and out it goes. Fear, it's more permeating, and it's, it's more dominant. It, it gets its roots deeper. It's, it's got tentacles into how we think and how we feel. It's a powerful, controlling influence. But what I learned about fear that's going to help me undo it is in this passage. Fear gets its its abilities to be what it is because of death. Now, what is death? Well, death is the ultimate separation from life. That's what death really is. It's the ultimate separation from life. And we all face the reality that at some point this body dies and I'm separated from its life. And we feel a certain way about that. But I I want to stretch that beyond that because fear doesn't simply operate in the area of one day I'm going to die. I'm afraid of dying. I'm afraid of dying. Many people are afraid of dying. But that's not the only area that fear operates in. And I think fear uses this death principle in every area that it touches. If I could use death simply as the loss of life, I think that would let me touch so many categories in my life. In whatever category I'm talking about, I'm afraid I'm going to lose life in that category. That's what I'm afraid of. That's what fear gets its strength from that. My concerns about death in that category for me. Listen to this. I'll put it in your outline. At the heart of enslaving fear is the thought that I'm going to lose something I need something essential to my life my well-being now think with me carefully get this thought in you at the heart of enslaving fear is the thought that i'm going to lose something i need i need that i've got to have that and i become very concerned and fearful that my life won't have that thing in it Something essential to my life. My well-being is wrapped up in that thing, whatever it is. If that's dead in my life, I, I, I can't have a good life. Now, you need to think a little bit into your own realm. Fill in the blank with life for you. Life won't be good without blank. Now, whatever you put in that blank, and probably there's several things that would go in the blank. Whatever you put in that blank, uh, it's going to take hostages. That thing will be captivating you at some point in your life. Life, just my life can't be good without blank. And so people today, and all of us experience it at some level, we are, we are afraid of the loss of something. We, we live in the fear that we might lose something. We might lose our health. We live in the fear that, that what, if, what if my health decreases? What if I have so-and-so? I've been to the doctor. They don't know. What if it's this? And fear begins to well up And I while. Where is that fear coming from? That fear has roots. It has reasons that it's trying to convince me of when it operates. It's trying to tell me, Keith, your life can't be good, man. It can't be good without vigor and health, the ability for you to run and play and do and feel a certain way. You you can't have a good life without that. And if I get convinced of that, and guess what? I'm I'm very fearful about my health. People are afraid of the loss of money or possessions. When you think through this past year, life changes and you could lose your job. You could lose money. You could have to sell this or uh, foreclose on that and lose that thing. And, and we, we're up at night and we think about it and, and we're, we're worried and anxious and fearful and concerned and, and consumed by this thing. Why? Because we've begun to believe that life can't be good without that trinket, that thing, that gadget, something new. The ability to have a certain lifestyle, to live at a certain level of physical comfort. Life can't be good without those things. And we start believing that. And the moment we do, we fear the death that could come into that area of my life. And welcome to being enslaved now that thing's going to begin to control me. That area will start controlling me in my life. People today are afraid of the loss of of affections or acceptance of others. We we have deemed it vital to the good of our existence to find a group to fit in. To feel accepted by others. whether, Whether that's a high school clique you, you know, kids. Well, actually, it's not even high school. It's elementary school where kids just get, are scared to death about being in a setting, being in a certain because it's just there's a fear there. I won't fit in. I, I, there won't be people there that that accept me and and validate me. And what starts off, all of us experience this when your mom and them bought you the wrong pair of shoes and you were a kid and you had to wear them to school. You remember this, mom. Nobody wears Kmart
1: to school.
0: (laughs) My mom was from Gloucester, Mississippi. She didn't care about that stuff, you know. For her, it was kind of like we got chicken and we're eating, and hey, that's it, okay? Here. Here's powdered milk, too. You know, that's my mom was that way. So you, you just had to figure out, oh my gosh. How am I going to face people in these shoes? I'm going to look like an idiot. You you Remember these fears that come out and you get controlled by that thing. You're all worried about going to school and school is starting and I have to wear Sears Husky pants, you know, Um, (laughs) just letting you know my childhood a little bit here. (laughs) Still scarred, still scarred. but listen, whether it's whether it's, sad or it's, it's a high school clique, or it's gangs. I mean, you want to understand the mystery of gangs in the, in the inner city? It, it's, it's a giveaway that relational structures have fallen apart. And I just want, I want to fit in somewhere. So if I get a bunch of gangs who tell me, hey, bro, you're somebody to us. You fit in. You're part of us. I'll run towards that, even if I've got to live a life of crime, and do things that I probably am uncomfortable doing. I, see, t- for me to have a good life, I gotta fit in somewhere. Now, if you don't live in the urban area, maybe you maybe it's the country club for you, or maybe it's the church. Probably, huh? It's the church where I, I need I need your I need your approval. I need you to accept me. I I, I can't deal with you not not being okay with me, with me not fitting. in. I don't feel like I fit in. Ah. Oh. You're terrible! You can't have a life. That's what we think. It's very likely that sitting here this morning are people from, who bounce from church to church to church. You've never discovered this is why you do it. And you're only here temporarily, by the way. You won't stay too long. The reason why is you 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 can't get the level of feeling of acceptance that you want here, and you didn't get it in the last church or in the one you were in before that. And you never killed this thing, so you're just going to take it with you. And you'll stay here for a season, and you'll go somewhere else after that. Because you can't get people to accept you the way that you feel you need to be accepted. And therefore, you start having this sense of life can't be good here. It's a slavery, and you're controlled by it. And you're moving from place to place. If you can get this image in your head, it's, it's the bull with a nose, and it's wringing its nose. And you'll stay here for a while until it gets pulled on, and you'll move on. You're not in control of that. You think you are. And you find reasons and people are this and this person did that to me and they said that. And, you know, the doctrine's this or, you know, I'm just not friendly or you'll find some fault. But it's really your your taskmaster, your tyrant, who says, time to go. And you'll go. You'll follow it. People today live in the fear. Of losing respect and admiration of others. We want people to like us. We want to be admired. We want to be significant in a setting. Whatever it is, you follow people, everybody has some area in their life where they're trying to be somebody significant. You know, it it, it may not be the same area, person to person, usually isn't. Could be a talent, could be some ability, could be your appearance, but somehow you choose an area to specialize in, to get a niche so if you can get one up on others, so that when you compare with others, at least in that category, you're all right. You're top. You know how enslaving this is. You choose appearance. You're living in the fear of the day when everything starts to droop. <laughs> right? Does that verse say "lifelong slavery"? And you know it's coming. Gravity has gotten a hold of you you're bigger than you used to be and there's more to pull down. <laughs> and it's, it's enslaving. You live in this, you know, you, if you ever get to the top in some category, then you have to like stand on top of the lighthouse and look and see, is there anybody coming who's better than me? And they pop up in church and, oh my God, she's more attractive than I am. Where did she come from? Guy plays the guitar better than me. I just know. I just know everybody else is going to think I stink now. (laughs) You you live in this, and it's controlling and enslaving. Why? But unlock the mystery of this. I'm afraid that if I don't have that in my life, I can't have a good life. So it's the fear of death that touches those dynamics in our lives. It's the death of something that we think has life. And this raises a question for us. What do I need for a good life? What do I really need for a good life? Do I need the things that I just listed off? Do you need health for a good life? Do you need money and possessions for a good life? Or a certain level of them. Everybody in America has got money and possessions. just the level of them that we can't stand. Do I need an acceptable group? Do I need to be affirmed and appreciated and significant in the eyes of others? Do I need that for a good life? Well, consider some thought from the Bible. Turn to Second Peter, chapter one. I think I left out the chapter reference in your outline. Second Peter, chapter one. Remember that statement Jesus made, and we read it earlier: "The thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life, and have it abundantly." So was this an interesting definition of life? It's simply in that statement right there. Don't read past it too fast. Unpack it. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Okay, that raises an implication. If he hadn't come, could you and I have had life? If Jesus had not come, could we have still had life? We could not have. Well, wait a minute. But people's hearts were beating before. They owned things. They had relationships. They had children. They they. Achieve things in life. So apparently Jesus is talking about something here that's a little different than those components of our lives. Because whatever he calls life could not be had unless he came. So if I'm looking for life, it is wrapped up in the person of Christ. And you can have all the health you want, all the possessions you want, all the success, all the admiration and appreciation of people, and according to the Bible, still not have life. And I bet if I let people stand up right now and tell you their own stories, you'd find that all around this room. All of us who thought we had life until just the rottenness of not having life drove us to the person who brings us life. And he said that's why he came. Now remember, don't be buying into the mission statement that he came to bring us life, but he didn't come to bring us freedom. No, no, don't be doing that. That's a mission statement. Look at Second Peter chapter... One, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, go back to this statement here. This is a big statement. This is a concept. Words. I'm just just quoting God's words here. We can listen, but then we can also believe. We can believe from a feeling of deficit, but we can still believe. I may be sitting here this morning thinking, you know what, my life's not in great shape. Uh, I mean, I don't know I'm a Christian. If you're here this morning and you're not sure you're a believer, then your life's not in great shape and there's something else that needs to happen. But if you're a believer and you feel like, you know, I just just feel like I'm not you know not where I'm supposed to be. Even from a position of deficit, I have to do something with this word. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life has granted past completed action. Nothing further to be done for it to become a reality. It already is done. He's already given to you and to me all things that pertain to life. Now, interesting. Jesus came. He said, I came that they may have life. And he has now granted everything that pertains to life. And and what's interesting, if you read the rest of the Bible and you find out how people live, apparently health is not vital to having life the way in which Jesus talked about it. Because the same Bible that tells me he's given me everything pertaining to life also tells me there's suffering and sickness and death in this world. So Jesus came to give me life, and apparently having perfect health is not part of that existence. Now, in eternity, I get perfect health as well. But on this earth, he came to give me life. And my body is still going to break down. At some point, it's going to expire on me. And along the way, there may be the need of the gift of healing to touch my body. So the Bible validates that your body's going to get sick. Jesus came to give us life, but he didn't do away with the sense of rejection that's in the world. So in other words, you can be rejected and have life all the same time. Now, we didn't feel like that was true because we just so feel that we want to be accepted by people. But the Bible doesn't make that a requirement for life. Jesus says, you know, there's going to come a time where you follow me, your mother, and your father's going to reject you. Your own family. People will turn on one another. I don't need need people's approval to have life. I don't need it. According to the Bible, Jesus said, you know, they hated me. They're going to hate you. Oh, but I don't don't like that part. You don't understand, this is a lifelong project for me. Getting everybody to like me, that's a full-time job. I get up early in the morning, planning. How how can I win the approval of all who will ever come in contact with me? That's enslaving. Can I just, just encourage you to give up on that? It's something, one, you'll never achieve it, and you'll just simply be led around by the nose trying to do that all your life. The Bible doesn't say you can ever accomplish that. The Bible guarantees you the opposite. People will hate you. Oh, I can believe that. Or I can just kind of just, uh, well, you know, I just don't. I think Jesus is a little too negative when he said that. I just know I can get people to like me. Oh, for a multitude of reasons, you won't. Some of those reasons in you, there's some things about you that just simply aren't likable. I mean, just deal with it. I mean, there's some dynamics about you. I mean, even if you're in the most gentle, kind, wonderful, thoughtful, your breath probably stinks. I mean, there's something about you that somebody ain't going to like. And then, even if you could get it all together just right, people only come in contact with you, never sinning against them, they bring their own sin to the table. You understand? They, they'll hate you because it's in them to hate you. What did I do? What did I do to make that person hate me? Oh, I don't know. Born into the human race. I mean, that's about all it took. They were born into the human race. There's so sin in them. You know, in the story. It's not a worthy goal. I just encourage you. Stop pursuing it. <laughs> but the reality is I've got to believe something here. That everything pertaining to life has been given to me. I've got to believe something about this. Because the threat from the enemy comes that, that you're not going to have what you need afraid you won't have what you need you won't have the essentials to have a good life let me just close out some thought here by looking at carefully managing life's necessities look at matthew chapter 6 verse 31 for a second i'm going to draw some quick thoughts from this hopefully one of the things that the lord uses our times together like this to do is to is to help us read the bible and to get much insight from what's in scripture Sometimes you have to just ask a lot of questions about Bible passages and think carefully about the word choices that God has put there. Think into the implications. Let me just draw a few thoughts quickly from Matthew 6, verse 31 to 33. Jesus says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Now those are the anxious thoughts. And today maybe it's, who will like me? How will I fit in? What, what if I don't get that raise? What if I can't live at this level any longer? Don't be anxious for those things, Jesus says. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. I'll come back to that thought in a second. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you it would be helpful if you'd make a list of these things for you. What are these things for you? Because the Bible warns you, whatever these things are, don't ever turn your face toward them. Turn your face toward seeking God, the person of God, and the purpose of God. That's what the kingdom of God is. It's the person of God and the purpose of God. Turn your face always toward Him. Because the second you turn your face toward these things, you are in serious trouble. You've just wired yourself for fear, worry, and anxiety. There's no other response. Just realize it's, it's almost like a, uh, a neurological response in your body. If you turn to God, you experience one thing. If you turn to these things, your body will manifest something else. It will manifest anxiety. It will you're going to begin to fear and wonder and worry. Quick observations from this passage. First, there are legitimate needs present in our lives. There are legitimate needs. Right? The Bible says, your Heavenly Father knows you need all these. Now, the, the, all these in here had to do with actual physical things that would sustain us. Eat, drink, and clothing. So in other words, there are genuine needs in my life. We live from a posture of deficiency we need from God. And that's a humbling thing that's real for us. But in the world that we live in, need has been spread into way too many categories. There are legitimate needs in our life and there are illegitimate needs. They're not really needs. Listen to this thought from Ed Welch. The list of, quote, psychological needs can be a long one. But they typically have to do with what we want In relationships, significance, acceptance, respect, admiration, love, belonging, meaning, and so on. Longings have much in common with lust. They're just very strong desires. They start out good, a desire to be loved, and end up enslaving us. To elevate our desire for love, impact, and other pleasures to the point where they become needs or longings is to sinfully exalt desire so that it becomes a delirium of desire. It is to yell out, I want, I must have, my desires are the basic building blocks of my world. It's to start believing that if I don't have that, your response, that. Level of achievement. Perfect or better health. If I don't have that, I can't have a good life. I can't. My life can't be good. I can't. And I'm getting in a panic over it. So when I'm in that mode, I'm going after this thing. I'm fearful about it. I'm watching it every second of my life. It's controlling how I feel about my life. Because I think I've got to have it. Most of those are simply wants. They're simply cravings that I personally have learned to value. The Bible nowhere teaches me that I need to be significant in the eyes of any person. Nowhere does it teach me that. But I sure want it. I sure want everybody to speak about me a certain way, elevate me a certain way. I want it. And it really bothers me when I can't get it. Now, if somebody comes along and labels that a need for me. Well, then, if it's a need... And I'm not having it met in my life. Well, then you understand why my life is subpar. I mean, certainly you do, right? I mean, this is a need. It's not being met in my life. So I can't have a a par life or above par life. It's going to be a subpar existence until, you know, people just begin to respond to me a little bit better. I mean, you understand? No. (laughs) I understand that statement's very unbiblical. I understand the Bible to have said that everything pertaining to life has been granted to me. And that some people simply might not like me. I understand those two comments are both in the Bible. And I have to live with them and appreciate them and let them liberate me, which is the great thing that they do. Second thought from this passage, we are commanded, commanded not to be anxious over our needs. We're commanded not to do that. Listen, don't ever... Don't ever sell somebody on your woe in order to try and convince them that you have license to be worried. Well, you don't understand. I mean, this and that and this and that. If if the person you're talking to lovingly and biblically responds to you, they will not give you a license to worry. Because the Bible doesn't give you a license to worry. It says don't be anxious for those things. God knows what you need. You seek in first God and his kingdom. That's really that's the only thing you're really called to do. Third. Our responsibility is to focus on God. In this passage, is a simple equation given to us. Do not set your eyes on these things. They will control you. Set your eyes on Him and His kingdom. That's where, that's where we're called. That's where the response needs to be. I need to be mentally busy about who He is and what He's doing. Occupy myself with that. Fourth, His responsibility is to meet our needs His way. That's His job. I don't help God do his job when I turn my face away from him and start focusing on these things. I'm not helping. I'm not called to help. I get in the way. I become uncooperative. I become bothersome. I stop walking in faith. I get irritated. I don't want to be around God now. I don't want to be around God's people. Listen, I'm screwing the process up. The moment I get my eyes off God and get it on these things, I'm now in the way. It's not a good thing. Listen, we live. You live in Christianity. You live in what's what's kind of an upside down kingdom. Things operate differently in the kingdom of God. I mean, think for a second. But Keith, don't I don't I need to be loved? And you know, my wife is just, or my husband, or, or my children, or my friends, or the church. I, you know, and I I need to be loved. I mean, isn't that biblical? I have a need to be loved. Now, I challenge you, when you read the Bible, you see if you take the Bible for what it says, see if you walk away being convinced that the Bible calls your need to be loved by others. What I find when I read the Bible is I have a need to love God and others. That's how the Bible presents it to me. I have a need to love God, and I have a need to love others. I have that need. I need to do that. If you if you misdefine the need of love in your life, what you're going to start doing is you're going to look for others to love you. And that's what you're after. You're after the love of others. And instantly you have signed on for being enslaved to people. And you will, you will, you will live your life trying to shop for a set of people, a husband, a wife, a relationship, something about people that will make you feel loved. And that's what you're after. But you know what? Listen, you're going to have a real hard time living in an imperfect, selfish world. Because what you're going to find is everybody else has got a full-time job, and you're not it. I mean, even your spouse. You're not their full-time job. If you're a believer, God's their full-time job. So you can stand in line behind God, certainly. And because they live in sinful flesh, I'm my other full-time job. So I don't always notice you. I don't always notice my wife. I don't always notice my children. They're all around me. I don't notice them because I'm too busy noticing me. And if they need me to love them, they need that or they can't have a good life. Well, then the odds are there'll be many moments when they simply can't have a good life then. Welcome to be related to sinners. I you to be careful how I handle some of these issues. Listen, I realize this is one of those subjects. I know I'm sounding very unkind and uncaring right now. Keith, you don't understand. I need to be loved. Listen, I'm not trying to be unsympathetic. I am truly sorry for the experiences that you've had that have probably led you to the point of feeling the way you do. But I do not not act on your best behalf by telling you something unbiblical. The best thing I can tell you is I want to see you get free. I want to see you liberated from depending on people in a way that the Bible doesn't call you to do that. It's enslaving. You will stand in line for the rest of your life, hoping and waiting for people to respond to you a certain way. It's not going to happen. Because you live in a world of sinners. There's only one who will ever love you perfectly. And you do have a need for His love. And it's God. I can find that all over the Bible. Because I need God and God is love. I'm, I'm, I'm able to say, I need the love of God. Let me move to this last point of your outline. I need the love of God. I need much of who God is. Let me just say this in a very kind way. It needs to be your mantra for the future. I don't need you. And I don't need that. I don't need that. Oh, I'd like to have it. It's what I really, really want. But I I don't need that if I go through life without that I can still have a good life I don't need you if I go through life without people I can still have a good life I came that you might have life and have it abundantly we had people before he arrived but we didn't have life Philippians 4.19. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. Where is it going to come from? My God will supply every need. 2 Corinthians 9.8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I can have a good life, full of good works. And I don't need anybody but God to respond to me in the right way. That's what my need is. Psalm 34, 9. Fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him lack nothing. But what if I look to God and you don't like me? Can I have a good life? Yes, absolutely I can. What if, I never, what if I never get married? I never find a soulmate, another person. To, what if, what if I ne- that never happens for me? Can you have a good life? Yes. But if you believe you can't, then that category will be an enslaving category for you. It will own you. The fear of death, the fear of not having life in that area will become very, very destructive for you. Now, go ahead and, and come up. God is my source. Not people or circumstances. God is my source. Romans 6 says, To that which you present yourself to be obedient to, you will become its slave. If you make people the object of your presentation, if you present yourself to people, whether it's your family, whether it's a group you're trying to impress, whether it's the church, this is a real difficult thing. This would be very helpful for people who can't seem to find a church and get happy in it. It could be that that you're trying to get something from these people that you can't get, that they're really not called to give you anyway. And because you can't get that, you're, you're disillusioned about them, you're disappointed in them. To whoever you present yourself to that, you'll become a slave. You're going to be a slave to people, and you'll find yourself moving from marriage to marriage, to group to group, to this to that, or right circumstances. Just about time they get right. They have to be right in a different way now. And you get enslaved to that, and you present yourself to it over and over again. Well, This morning, I'd like to to finish by just encouraging us towards being delivered from what I would call the parasite lifestyle. You know what a parasite is? Parasite's an organism that finds another organism from which to derive its life. It's a sucker. It goes and finds a host organism and it attaches itself to that thing. And and its existence is bound up in that thing and it draws from that thing its life. The masking within our lives of, oh, God, how we love you, is the temptation to turn our attention from him and to turn to these things and to become parasites feeding on each other. And let me just warn you, you, you can't have a good marriage as a parasite. If you're looking for your wife or your husband to supply life to you, they need to relate to you a certain way, respect you a certain way, validate you a certain way. You're looking for life to come from them. You've just signed on for a miserable marriage. You're going to torture one another. God never, never designed people to be a source of life for us. Never did it. He designed our relationship with Him to be a source of life to us. And if you misplace that, you can welcome God into your life. And if you're looking at these things and you're trying to draw life from these things, you're going to be enslaved to people. Listen, I, I look back as I've walked through this series, looking, seeking out fresh opportunities for me to find, God, where's the categories today for me to wrestle with? But I, I, I couldn't help but look back over my life and just thank God for seasons where these truths became true and they became liberating in my life. I remember early on in, in my wife and I's relationship, while we were still dating, we, we we dated through the latter half of the 19th century, I think, or 20th century. Um, after a couple of years, the Lord identified in me parasite-type affections for my wife. You know where our relationship was going to go, who she was going to be to me, the future that we would have together. My, the good of my future began to get bound up in that as our relationship continued. Of course, what that made me start functioning like was that she was the object of my life. She was the source of life for me. So now I'm watching every move. I'm listening to every comment. I'm listening for waning affections and strengthening affections. Are you for me, against me? Are you seeing anybody else? Thinking about anybody else? Wondering whether you like me as much as you want. See, because my life was getting bound up in her. It was miserable. Miserable. I mean, I was a parasite. She was a little flaky. So between the two of us, wow. What, what a relationship. You know what God did at his mercy? He just broke the relationship in half. He sent her to the other side of the world. Literally. And we just went our own ways. And in that, it was about an eight-month season I just thought it was over with. During that eight months what God did He spent about four months I remember about half of that time Just showing me I'd become a parasite I'd begun to believe that the good of my life Was found up in another person And He taught me and taught me and taught me in that area And I remember learning that and realizing Oh God, no, that's wrong You are my source of life I don't ever have to live in dependency On another person that way don't ever have to do that. It was the most liberating revelation. I live in it. I live in the good of that season to this day in my life. It finds application points everywhere. Listen, I don't say this to be ugly. I don't need you. Some of you may comment. Wow, oh, man, I like coming here. You just, you just tell it like it is. Um, I probably because I don't know how to speak real well. Just things just come out. But... I I don't feel a sense of need from you. I don't need you to like what I said this morning. I don't need it. Did I always feel that way? No. Oh, no. No, no, no. I know what it is to live on the other side of that. I know what it is to live in dependency on what people thought of me. What do they think about it? How did I do? I, I thank God for the liberation of I don't need that. I learned it through many tears in that season with my wife. But she had become the most important thing in my life. And I remember telling a friend, this was the most bitter experience I've ever walked through in my life. But I'd walk through it again to learn what I just learned. Listen, God, God wants to liberate you from being enslaved to the fear of people and things going right. People and things are not your source. God is your source. When my face is on Him and I seek first Him and His kingdom, all these other things, they take care of themselves. God makes sure they do. I'm married. My wife loves me most of the time. We have a wonderful family. God, God took care of all that. By getting my eyes off these things that I was doing Gentile gymnastics to have, my anxieties, and onto Him. And That's what He wants to do to set us free. Let's stand up together. Lord, right now, would you help us be in touch with the deep reasonings of our hearts, the the fears that are there, that we bump into them probably on a daily basis. God, help us. Help us to be in touch with realities. What am I afraid of? What am I anxious about? Oh, if I don't have blank life just can't be good. Therefore, I'm very concerned about that area of my life. Lord, shine your gracious light into our lives this morning. Come as a great liberator and unlock the mysteries that the enemy has discovered our Achilles heel. And he puts us in lifelong slavery because he knows How terrified we are of not having life. Oh, but Lord, you have said something about life. You have bound life up in you, Lord. It's not bound up in my wife. It's not bound up in my children. It's not bound up in my money, my success. Whether I can achieve enough things to win the respect of others. It's not bound up in those things. You said you came that I might have life. Have it abundantly you said you've given me everything pertaining to life oh lord i need to not just hear it i need to believe it this morning god give me grace to believe what you've said and liberate me from the false ideas that i need something that i don't need oh i might want it and maybe this morning i need to repent and turn away from wanting things that you've not said i should want I want to help any who are here this morning. And maybe maybe you've got health. Maybe you've got money. You've got success. You've got people in your life. But you also know what it is to be under the control of those things. They control your joy. They control your peace. In some ways, you you know that they... They're taskmasters. And you know in your own heart, you're, you don't feel a sense of freedom to live life without those things. Maybe this morning, the, the simple message you needed to hear this morning, and the reason the Lord brought you here, was to hear Jesus Christ say to you, I came, I came, so that you could have life. Well, how do you get that life? It's so simple, you're going to have to overcome the simplicity of it. Jesus said, To as many as receive Him, to those who believe in His name and who He is and what He's done, to them He gave the right to become children of God. Can you get a feeling for that? A place of acceptance, a place of forgiveness from God, being a part of his family, accepted the way a perfect, loving father would reach in with acceptance and embrace a child picked up into his care, God's gracious arms wrapped around your life. I guarantee you, when you taste that and the sweetness of it, you you will realize you don't need Others to play that role for you. God is playing that role for you and He's doing a spectacular job. But maybe you've never experienced that. Maybe you don't want to know what it is to have God in your life like that. You've acknowledged that God exists. You even believe that He exists. But I don't know, maybe you haven't received Him personally into your life. And this morning, I just want to introduce you to how you can do that. Simply praying in faith. You can, as though, open up your heart as though there were a door on it and invite Christ into your life. And turn away from these other things. It, 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 maybe it's your spouse or success or whatever. Turn away from that. Turn your attention off those things. And put it on Christ. Say, Christ, I, I turn to you this morning, September the 2nd. And I open my heart and my life to you. And I surrender my life to you. I, I, I declare I need you. And you are my source in life. From this moment on, I'm going to look to you to be the source of my life. And if you'll do that, and you just right now, maybe your eyes are closed, and you just can, can look into the face of God for yourself and say, God, what that guy just said, that's how I feel right now. That's what I want to do. I do open my life to you, God. I do turn away from other things that I've made so critical and important. And I recognize, I I really just need you. You are the need for my life. So I open my life with all the faith that's in me. And I tell you that I trust you. And I will follow you from now on. Let me ask you to do this. If, If you prayed that very simple prayer and encountered God that way, God really will do what He said. He'll receive you as His own child now. But it might be helpful for you to get some encouragement in that as you move on in that decision. If you came with somebody today who invited you, just reach over and grab and say, Hey man, I just want you to know I prayed that. I prayed that prayer just now. Or if you don't know somebody here, you're not comfortable doing that, come find me. I'm going stand right here for about 45 minutes or so after the service. Come find me. Just say, Hey, I prayed that prayer. You're going to be like many, many in this room who have done exactly that. What a great liberation you're about to experience in your life to find God satisfying your heart and your life from this moment on. Let's, let's sing together. Matt, you got a song that we can close in song?
1: You are my supply My breath of life Still more awesome than I know You are my reward, worth living for, still more awesome than I know, and all of you is more than enough for all of me, for every thirst and every need you satisfy. Your love, and all I have in you, is more than enough, more than all I want.